Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, everyone. I hope that you're doing well. I say that every week, but this week, I really mean it. I mean it every week. I hope you're doing well. Uh, My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Berean, and I'm excited about this series as we ramp up to and lead up to Easter. The goal in all of this is to help us, each of you, myself, prepare ourselves in some way for this significant and important Christian day. Last week, if you were tracking with us, we talked about how Jesus' journey to the cross addresses and deals with that thorny issue called sin. And today, I want to talk about how Jesus' journey to the cross deals with that thorny, tricky issue of suffering. You know, we have succeeded in, I think, some small measure here in the West in removing ourselves from the purview of suffering in limited ways. We are comfortable. Our life expectancy is high. You know, in ancient Rome, life expectancy at birth was between 25 and 30 years old. In the Middle Ages, likewise, Life expectancies averaged around 30. Now, obviously, when you hit 18, your life expectancy would grow from there. But if you were a family and you had a number of children, you would anticipate that many, if not the majority, would not survive into adulthood. And this universal, significant, thorny issue of suffering, for many, is the greatest barrier to Christianity to theism, to belief in God. How could, maybe you've heard, how could a good God allow this to happen? Now, I understand the emotional impact that suffering can have. But I'm inclined on this point to agree with C.S. Lewis and other thinkers who would say that the the issue of suffering and our emotional response doesn't demonstrate that God isn't real. In fact, if anything, it reveals that there is a God out there. Let me explain. What do you see when you look at nature? You see the strong crushing, conquering, and killing the weak. But when that happens with humans, we say, wait a second, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not good. But then I always want to ask, where do you get these ideas of fair, of just, and of good? I mean, if there is no God, then really it's all just neurons, chemicals in our brain that are exhibiting thoughts and manifesting themselves in thoughts of unpleasantness. It really has no ultimate meaning. 
Who are you to say what is right or just? If I am stronger than you, then why wouldn't I take, crush, kill, destroy? But no, see, we can't escape. We know that something is wrong. We know that it shouldn't be this way. And far from disproving the existence of God, if anything, it's a little breadcrumb that says you and I instinctively know that this world isn't as it should be. You see, we all walk the path of suffering in different ways. And in this passage that we're going to look at today from John chapter 4, we see Jesus confronting suffering head on. You see, Jesus' journey to the cross was a journey of suffering. And as we approach Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, we will explore some of the depths of his suffering. But Jesus' journey to the cross was a journey of suffering. And because of him, because of his suffering, you can hold on to this truth that if you are trusting in Jesus, suffering will not be forever. It's a journey of suffering to end our suffering. Now, if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read John chapter 4, starting in verse 40. Now, just before I jump in here and read this text that's up on the screen as well, I want to give you a little bit of of background. You see, John, as a gospel, as a biography of Jesus, along with the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're designed to bring us front and center, to introduce us to Jesus so that we come away with an understanding of who he is and, and why he's come. And what we see here so far in the Gospel of John is the revelation that Jesus is the Lamb of God. We see that his public ministry has started. His first miracle was at the wedding that we have recorded for us, was at the wedding in Cana where he turned water into wine. He cleanses the temple. He is on a mission. He is not content with having people live in spiritual darkness. He wants people to know their maker, their creator. In chapter 3, we see his fascinating encounter with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, from which we get one of the most famous verses, John 3.16. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well, showing that his mission is global. And here now we're reading about a section of his public ministry in Galilee. We're going to start in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And after two days, he departed from Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, 
having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Jesus is ministering, he's serving, he's walking through these places. And now look at verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. Now, by way of structure or outline today, I want to offer you just two very simple truths that we see in this passage as it relates to our suffering. Because this journey to the cross addresses two of our biggest issues, the issue of sin and the issue of suffering. Here's the first truth. No one can escape the reality of suffering. No one is immune. No one is above. You cannot escape. You are not above. One of the realities that we need today in our context is a deep, thoughtful, and biblical view of suffering. And too often, we're not comfortable with that. Too often, our ears, our hearts have been led astray by those who promise that if you just do X, Y, and Z, then God will bless you in a certain way. As if God were somehow a machine that you could manipulate. You just punch in a few codes and and out pops whatever you want. But the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is not beholden to you. He does not answer to you. He loves you graciously. He is your father if you have trusted in Christ. He is working for good in your life. But sometimes your definition and his definition don't quite match up. But no one can escape the reality of suffering. It comes to, first of all, both old and young. You can see here in this account, this man, this fully grown man who has a title, has an office, would probably have some educational background, some significant work experience. He is suffering. He's hurting. He's in pain and anguish. If any of you have had children that are sick and ill in significant ways, you know that it is a hard, hard path to walk. But his son was also suffering. This child. Suffering comes to both old and young alike. A number of years ago, I can remember after a service, 
speaking with two parents about their teenage son. And he was a good kid. He had great manners. He was pretty sharp. He was well put together. Just a a nice, polite boy. But the parents were concerned that despite him being a, a good kid in many respects, his heart hadn't truly been captured by Jesus yet. He didn't He didn't have a deep, abiding love for Christ. And his parents were kind of spitballing ideas with me, kind of, you know, I was listening to what they had been doing, and I said, I think you guys are doing everything right. And they kept pushing, what more can I do? What more can I do? And then it kind of dawned on me. I said, truthfully, he hasn't suffered yet. Life hasn't beat him up yet. He hasn't been disappointed yet. And when those seasons come, he will be able to taste and see that God is still good. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, don't you wish that you could just somehow take your life experience around the faithfulness and the goodness of God and just inject it into the little ones in your life. To say, you know what, you don't need to go through the heartache, you don't need to go through the drama, you don't need to see the scars and the wounds that sin leaves and how God graciously redeems and heals those. What you need is just take one of these and we'll talk tomorrow morning. Right? But that's not how it works. Suffering comes to all of us, old and young alike. It's how we respond to that suffering that makes the difference. Not only does suffering come to old and young, it comes to rich and poor. This individual was an official, most likely a royal official. He would have some measure of financial security. He would have networks He would have connections. This is a significant issue in his life. I'm sure he was talking with everyone that he could. He would have access to the best healers, doctors, medicine people in the land. And yet, it's not enough. Rich and poor suffering comes to us all. I don't know if you've ever noticed how many wealthy people today in, in pop culture have this overwhelming fear of aging and death. You ever seen any of the weird stuff that Gwyneth Paltrow's into? I read this article once, all kinds of weird stuff. Or take Simon Cowell, right? The British guy in America's Got Talent, American Idol, whatever one it is. You know, the guy that's like, that's a no for me. He hits the button. I was reading once about his protocol for ensuring that he has a long and healthy life. Obviously, regular Botox is important. (laughs) Getting water or coffee enemas cleans you out, I guess. Some type of odd wrap in plastic that helps. Regular waxes, teeth, whitening, regular vitamin IVs. All in the hopes, I presume, of avoiding the effects of aging. Now, God calls us to take care of our bodies. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I mean, if you want to shoe coffee, I mean, that's just, that's between you and your doctor, okay? Talk to your physician. 
There's nothing wrong with caring for your body. There's nothing wrong with with any of these protocols if you have the means and the opportunity. The issue is the deep fear that is driving all of this. Because at some point, you're going to have to accept that young or old, rich or poor, you cannot escape it. You can see this in M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Now, hold on. I'm not going to say spoiler alert. If a movie's 20 years old and you haven't watched it yet, don't come and say, you spoiled the movie. I wish you wouldn't do that. I'm not going to say that. Okay, if it's 20 years old, it's on you. But it's an interesting movie because it's a thriller with a twist at the end. Because the scene is set, it takes place in this small town called Covington, set in the late 1890s. But as the events of the movie unfold, it's revealed that this group of settlers who came here and founded this town didn't come from the 1800s. They came from the mid-2000s. It's modern day. And what we learn is that this town was founded by a wealthy benefactor and a group of friends who had all lost someone or something in the modern world. So they said, the problem is society. The problem is the cities. The problem is the world today. So they retreated. They bought a large sanctuary in the woods and they built this picturesque, beautiful little stone town. Looked like it was pulled from the pages of the 1890s newspapers. But even here, in their recreated Eden, their little oasis away from the modern world, even here in their controlled and contrived reality, pain, sickness, death, and violence enter in. The problem is not the modern world. The problem is sin. Eventually, one of the town's founders, one of the elders that helped form and and perpetuate this farce, simply remarks, heartache is a part of life. I thought I could run away from it all, but it followed us even here. You and I cannot escape suffering. So then what? Just be a stoic? Harden yourself? Get over it? No, the gospel offers us something greater. Here's the second truth that I want you to see today. Jesus's journey to the cross secures our eternal home where suffering is no more. This journey to the cross has a purpose. Not just not just simply dealing with our sin, but the welcome into an eternal home someday where you and I, all those who have trusted in Jesus, will be with him in eternity, free from all of the effects of sin and of suffering. 
This man that comes to Jesus here in this text has no other hope. The first time he speaks to Jesus, he says, listen, could you please come? My child is ill. The second time that he refers to his son, he uses a different term, a more intimate term, familial term. First he says, will you come? My child is sick. And the second time he says, basically, my, my boy. My precious little boy is sick. Will you please come? And then Jesus replies and says something interesting. Unless you see signs and wonders, you know, unless you see all these miracles, you will not believe. And in the Gospel of John, there's this theme that runs throughout that a preoccupation with miracles, simply for miracles' sake, doesn't lead us closer to Christ. That the whole reason that Jesus is here revealing and teaching, that he is working these miracles and performing these signs, is that so people will see who he is. That they will trust in him. The purpose is not just to have their ears tickled or to be fed for a day or to be wowed. This guy is just like David Blaine. It's amazing. The purpose is to see who Jesus truly is. So the man turns to Jesus and says, will you come down with me? Will you come back to my house? Will you come and do something? because I need you. And interestingly enough, Jesus says no and yes. Jesus says, no, I won't come with you because I don't need to. No, I won't come with you, but go. Your son's going to be okay. And if that were me, I would be tempted to say, wow, appreciate that. That's great. That's great, great, great. Um, Are you sure you don't want to come down? We have a guest caught. It's more of a pallet with some rags on it. Um, uh, My wife could maybe cook something nice for you. Um, You know, I could build a little rickshaw. I'll pull you the full 20 miles. You know, I know you're tired. But he kind of rests here. Because the one thing that he can do is trust Jesus' word. Trust his word and keep heading home. Jesus says, go. He's going to be okay. So the man takes Jesus at his word. He trusts Jesus. He has seen Jesus. He has heard about Jesus. And so he trusts him. He leaves there with no real guarantee apart from what he knows about the character of God. Apart from what he knows about who Jesus is. The only thing he can do is take Jesus at his word and start heading home. And here's how this connects to you that whether you get a yes from God or you get a no from him, 
This is the path for you and me. You can trust him and keep heading home. Now, I would love to say to you, if you just do these things, then you can get what you want from God. If you just fast hard, I'd love to be able to say, if you just, if you just give enough, everything that you want, God will give you. If you just fast enough, if you pray enough, if you're sincere enough, if you try hard enough, if you recruit enough people to pray, then God, that is not how it works. God is not a machine. We do not manipulate him. We do not control him. That is not how this works. And so what are you going to do when inevitably you hear a no from God? Because maybe you've been praying for that child for years. Maybe you have been praying for that relationship to be restored for years. Maybe you've been battling through pain and hardship, sickness of some kind, and you have been praying on your knees before God, waiting. Then what? Well, then you have the same response of this man in this passage. Take Jesus at his word and keep heading home. You see, Jesus' word and promise is not that you will be spared from difficulty, spared from hardship, and saved from any kind of suffering in this life. But the promise is this, that because of the journey to the cross, because of his crucifixion in your place, the forgiveness of sins, the atonement for sins available to you, because of his resurrection from the dead, if you trust in him, your sin can be forgiven. And you can be welcomed into a relationship with him that guarantees you an inheritance in the new creation. And that someday, in eternity, you will be with him. Free from the effects of sin, of suffering, of sickness and disease. I know that what's called eschatology, it's a big Christian word for the teachings around the last days, Christ's second coming, can be very divisive in our world today, in the Christian context. But this is a doctrine, a theology that we need to recover. Now, I'm not talking about you and I arguing our points down the way about you listing your chart and then I have my chart and we're comparing and contrasting. I'm talking about stepping back and saying, what is all this about? What is the purpose here? What are we actually after? What, what is it that we're truly longing for? What we long for as Christians is the blessed hope, the glorious return of Jesus where we will be with him in eternity, in our eternal home. You see, the promise of Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4, where it says there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain and hardship, and, and it's going to be perfect. The, the 
greatest truth in that promise is not that you will have a very enjoyable vacation. A lot of leisure time. Great abs and a full set of hair. (laughs) The promise, the greatest promise in all of that is that you will see your Redeemer. You will see the one who bled and died for you. And finally, you will be able to worship him as you desire and as he deserves. And for all eternity, you will learn and love him more and more and more every day. How is that possible, you say? Well, because he is infinite. He is glorious. Let that hope sustain you in the suffering that because of his journey to the cross, he put an end to suffering. This man in this text, he had to leave. He left with no real guarantee. He turned and he started heading home. 20 miles between Galilee and Cana, or Capernaum and Cana. And on the way, he's met with the good news. That everything's going to be okay. If you trust in Jesus, you will hear this same good news somewhere on that journey home. Maybe you'll continue to pray and God will answer you. Praise God for that. Celebrate and thank him. Or maybe the good news will meet you at the door of eternity as you step through that door into your eternal home where finally suffering will end. Life is hard. There is no way to escape it. And yes, God works through it and God works in it. And God is working all things together for good. But it will still beat you up. Push you down. And if you're not careful, destroy you. So when suffering enters into your world, what do you do? You you trust Jesus and keep heading home. You wake up tomorrow morning and you say, God, it still hurts, but I'm going to keep on going. Your grace is sufficient for me. Your mercies are new every morning. I am going to trust you and keep walking home. For you, that could be, God forbid, one hour. It could be 100 years. We don't know how long we have. But I can tell you this, that by the time you reach home, the good news will be there waiting for you. You see, the journey to the cross is not about Jesus being a martyr or some kind of idealistic example for you and I to follow. It's not an illustration of staying true to your convictions and persevering. It is the very grounds and means by which our sin can be justly forgiven 
by which the sufferings and difficulties of this present world do not have to beat you down. The journey to the cross is the journey of Jesus' suffering, of entering into our suffering so that he can end it. In 1 Peter 5, verse 10, we read these words. Peter says this, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There are times in this life where we have nothing else but to trust in Jesus. When our suffering is so hard and so difficult and so dark that we are tempted to give up. Take Jesus at his word and keep heading home. And the journey of the cross shows us why and how you can trust him. He entered into our suffering to end suffering. You know, after the sermon, we're going to have people up here to pray for you, as we do every week. I want to invite you that if you need someone to pray with you, maybe there's a need that you want some prayer for. Maybe you have been suffering and you are tempted to give up. And this hope of the resurrection that's coming someday, this hope of finally being home, is, it is dim to your eyes. And you need prayer that God would open your heart to latch on to that truth. I want to invite you to come to pray. No one can escape the reality of suffering. So Jesus entered into it to end it once and for all. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be years from now. But let this hope sustain you in the midst of suffering. Trust Jesus' word and keep heading home. Let me pray. Father, there are people here right now who are struggling, who are wondering, who are just hurt. Suffering comes to old and young. It comes to rich and poor, and there is nothing that we can do to escape it. And sometimes it seems overwhelming, and yet you have given us hope. Because our hope is not based on our present situation it is based on the promise of the future that you have for us. That someday, all sin, all suffering will cease. And this is only because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, on the cross and in his resurrection. Lord, we need to just trust you. To just trust you and keep heading home to our eternal home with you someday. 
for my brothers and sisters, for those who are here who are hurting, God, give them the courage to reach out and to lean on others in this season. You don't expect us to do it alone. So Spirit, come and work as we sing to you, as we pray before you, as we worship you. For we ask this in the name of our resurrected Lord and Savior, the one who walked the path of suffering to end suffering. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.